Hey humans, Susan Ruth here. How's it going? Thank you for tuning in for episode 23 of Hey Human Podcast. My guest on today's podcast is Michael Malora, and he is a super interesting guy. He is, uh, he's got a PhD, MA, MFA. He's a depth psychotherapist, a Jungian guy, um, composer, super interesting. Uh, it was a really fascinating conversation for me. I dug it big time. We talked about all sorts of dream interpretation and uh, Jungian psychology. I'm probably getting that wrong. Is it psychiatry? I think it's psychology. And um, I don't know when you get to call it psychiatry versus psychology. I should have asked that question. That'll be a follow-up when I have him on the show again. Uh, anyway, really interesting guy. Really cool conversation. I hope you like it. As usual, I have to do the housekeeping. Please uh, go to iTunes and subscribe to Hey Human. Uh, review it. It's really helpful. Tell your friends. Uh, share the, the wealth of information of these podcasts. Help get the word out. I really appreciate it. Uh, as always, I will have links on heyhumanpodcast.com uh, for stuff like how to reach Michael and things we talked about in this episode. And you can follow me on Instagram at instagram.com slash heyhumanpodcast. I also have Twitter, heyhumanpodcast, but I, I'm not very good at paying attention to it, I admit. So Instagram is kind of my thing. That's my jam. Oh, and I'm on Facebook, facebook.com slash heyhumanpodcast. So there you go. Let's get into it with Michael, and I hope you enjoy. Thank you for listening. All right. Okay. Hi, Michael. Hi, Susan. How are you? Welcome to Hey Human Podcast. <laughs> All right. It's great to be here. So, this is exciting. Yes, it is exciting. I'm excited because <laughs> you're a very interesting person, so I'm, I'm looking forward to talking with you. Yeah, good. Thank you. <laughs> so, uh, okay, so you just coached me on how to say your last name. Let's see if I already screwed up. Michael Molera. Is that right? Melora. Melora. Dang it, I already screwed it up. (laughs) It's all right. Michael Melora. Now I can edit that in post and make myself sound genius. It's not coming. (laughs) It's a tricky last name for me. Yeah, it is. You're probably used to it. You've had it a while. (laughs) Yeah, I've had it for some time at this point. Yeah. So you're in California. Yes, I'm in Los Angeles. How's the weather? Right under the... Right under the Hollywood sign. I'm under the D. You are? Yeah, if you look out my window, you can see the D. Ah, that's very good. <laughs> All right, for doctor, I guess. Yeah, well, there you go. I didn't plan it that way, but I guess that works. And you are a doctor <laughs> of? Uh, clinical psychology. Yeah? I have a PhD in clinical psychology. Yes. Is that the kind that you get to write scripts, or is that the other kind? No, that's the other kind of yeah. psychite. I always get those confused. Yeah, I'm not a big follower of uh, pharmacology. Yeah. I, I, I believe it's important for certain disorders, but uh, yeah. I really try to work with people who are not on meds, if yeah. possible. And you're, so you're a Jungian? Is that Yes. Correct? Yeah. Yeah. So what, let's just let's start from the very beginning. Yeah. Always a nice place to start, according to Julie Andrews. Uh, I love your music, by the way. Oh, thank you. That's very kind. 
Yeah, what I've seen is just so great. Oh, You've got thanks. a nice earthy quality to your work, and oh, it's wonderful. Thank you. I, I hope to get out to Nashville sometime. Yeah, you should come visit. I, I'm, I keep inviting all these people that I'm talking to to come visit Nashville. Many have never been. Have you? Yeah, we're been? all going to come at once. I together. think that would be amazing. <laughs> On one plane, we're all going to arrive at once, and, and we're just going to invade your space. I think that would be fantastic. <laughs> I, just, all I need is a day to, ahead of time. Uh-huh. <laughs> so just order, a day. So I can order some food or something. I, I don't think I could hold that. Let's <laughs> <laughs> stock the fridge up, you know? Because right now, it looks like my refrigerator is sad. Mother Hubbard <laughs> would be appalled, even, at my refrigerator. <laughs> I've got, you know, shiracha and spicy mustard. <laughs> <laughs> and a jar oh, nice. of pickles and a jar of jalapenos. I think that's pretty much it for my Yeah, picture. if you were Italian, we'd have to kick you out of I'm, the, the For group, real. You know? I, yeah. It's so true. Oh, my, my little computer's trying to update on me. Okay. It's all good now. Okay. <laughs> so, start from, I guess, young you. <laughs> Not a play on words. <laughs> literally, a young you. And, uh, and, and see, and take us through kind of what drew you to your science and... Have you always been interested in people's psyches? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, tried, I, I think I went into psychology to try and understand myself. Yeah. <laughs> and I, and also to understand other people, of course, in doing that. Um, Jungian psychology involves something called the collective unconscious, um, kind of taking things a little further from what Freud started in psychotherapy. Mm-hmm. Um, they were buddies, when, right? They were buddies at one time, and then they separated because they had some disagreements. And it was pretty much right in this area that we're talking about uh, with the collective unconscious. Uh, Jung took the ideas of Freud, which who pretty much like, you know, uh, Freud established that there was an unconscious and wrote the dream book in the early part of the 20th century. It's just full of penises, wasn't it? (laughs) Yeah, just full of a lot of penises. And exactly what Jung had a difficult time with because you know he wasn't sure he wanted one with vaginas it was the beginning and the end vaginas he he wanted one with vaginas and all kinds of different possibilities including you know it 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 it, that was kind of the concept Jung didn't feel that everything led back to the penis right you know and and now of course in los angeles we've proven them both wrong so it's very exciting but um with Jung he basically wanted to stretch it out extend it a little bit more he felt that the unconscious also connected us all in uh our experiences and our symptoms and so it's a way of looking at say dreams as one example uh would there's two different ways of looking at a dream Instead of just thinking of the personal experience of a dream, um, you know, which would be Freud would, was very interested in going into the sexual interpretations, the Oedipal, and so forth, you know, um, where Jung took it a little bit further. He thought that these dreams were saying something more about humanity, um, something that connected us to each other, um, and had more of a collective meaning as well as a personal meaning. So um, we can come up with all kinds of examples of that, but it's like uh, 
it's a very interesting way of seeing things. You know, Jung was more interested also in like what's called archetypes and mythology, mm-hmm. and uh, Jung had a little bit more of a spiritual direction with his work, where Freud was very much an atheist. You know, so uh, that that was really one of the big differences. He didn't think it was all about sex. <laughs> I had a brilliant idea for uh, uh, if you know you are having sex with your mother, you could get her Oedipole undies. <laughs> that's a good one. You got to use that. That's that's uh, maybe I should use that. Uh, yeah, I, gotta, I mean that could be a whole product line right there. I don't know. Gotta, <laughs> something to that. I love it. The that's good. So like when it. you're you were saying the collective, so. Did he believe then that in our dreamscape, I'm going to get kind of woo-woo on this because that's what it sounds like. That's okay. Get all kinds of woo-woo. Well, it's not woo-woo. Do you know what I mean? It sounds kind of woo-woo, but it's not woo-woo. But was he saying that, that, uh, that we are all connected as in we are actually all part of the same consciousness connected? Is that what he was getting to? Well, it's that our experiences, um, have a relationship. Um, that humanity, actually all living things, um, including you know um, uh, animals even mm-hmm. and so forth, have a relationship with each other. And if we listen to the symptoms that we all struggle with or, or difficulties with, like depression, for example, it's saying something not just about the person but about the world we're living in and the challenges of being in a very complex um, civilization you know so it kind of ties us together yeah. uh, in a certain way I mean but first you do stay, start with the personal unconscious and you want to understand what's going on with each person on a personal level but, but you see the healing aspects of psychotherapy uh, for Jung was in that most people who come in with, you know, challenges, um, are struggling with things like alienation, feeling very alone in the world, separation, the concept of separating from the mother, separating from your siblings, separating from your love objects, and so forth, creates a lot of pathology. And the idea of the collective unconscious, when you get there in therapy, really is very uh, healing and eye-opening because it, it, it opens up the idea that you're never really alone, that we all share a lot of the pain and suffering that you, each patient is going through um, on a bigger scale, mm-hmm. you know? And so, like, if I have a patient who is um, struggling with all kinds of intimacy issues or something, and then she maybe comes up with a dream where she's being chased by terrorists, um, you can take that from, okay, on a personal level, um, she's experiencing some paranoia and some fear about someone coming after her and so forth. But then on a larger level, she's expressing a collective fear that we all share about what it means to live in a world where terrorism is at our doorsteps or outside our homes and invading you know, our personal lives now in a way that's very different from the way it's been in civilization mm-hmm. decades back, at least in this country. Um, 
So, you know, it, it, what happens, though, in the work is that in her connection to a collective, she doesn't feel so alone. Okay. She yeah. You know, there, there's, it, it's actually a very kind of interesting concept of, of, of how we're all in this together in one way or another. Yeah, that seems very soothing. Yeah, it is. is that it what, can be. Is that what drew you to it then, that particular focus of psychotherapy? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I came from, uh, I mean, I, I, I always was a big dreamer. I love, I mean, I, I'm just one of those guys that just when I, every night I go to sleep, I can't wait to find out where I'm going to end up. Um, I dreamt a lot as a kid, and uh, I was always fascinated by what I was dreaming, and I wanted to know more about it. Mm-hmm. Um and I kind of that was something that was driving me towards an interest in, say, art, mm-hmm. um, theater, film, experimental film, anyway, um, poetry, things that were a bit more symbolic and abstract. Um, dark images always fascinated me. They didn't scare me um, like I think they do with a lot of other people. Um, but I was fascinated by them, you know, gothic images and so forth. And I wanted to know more about them, so I would read a lot, and that drew me into, uh, you know, Freud and Jung and people like that. Sure. Um, but also, as you know, I, I do composing yes. and I do music. Very successfully, I might add. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Um, and this idea of kind of like having these dreams every morning. Uh, I would wake up and I'd want to talk about them with whoever, friends. But then I started to compose music um, that was based on my dreams. Um, And a lot of my work was driven by material I found in my dreams. And, um, you know, when I started going for my education, at first my interest was in literature. Mm. And I studied at New York University got my first degree there, my BA in literature, but then I wanted to study um, something called performance studies, and I don't know if you are familiar with performance studies. Oh, no. Uh, I mean, theater? Really, really different? No, it's not. It is theater. It's tied to theater. Okay. But at NYU, there was a program called performance studies, which was created by a guy named Richard Schechner, who was one of the leading... um, intellectual minds of the theater uh he brought something he like worked out of the 60s and mm-hmm. created I've heard these his little names. yeah yeah he created like these spaces these really interesting performance art spaces in soho and greenwich village in new york um where they did this really cool stuff like they would take shakespeare and they would chop it up into different pieces and turn it into like a dream kind of like environment people wouldn't sit in seats they would wander around um, rooms and experience a different type of phenomenology of a theater piece Um, and then he brought music into the spaces and it was really fascinating he created this uh, department at NYU which is in the experimental wing of Tisch School of the Arts which wasn't just a study of performance but the study of performance as behavior um, kind of looking at how the performance space of theater also reflects the illusions of reality. Mm-hmm. And he would do theater in, on subways and in, in, uh, parks and that kind of stuff. Back in the 60s and 70s, that was pretty avant-garde and pretty crazy, wild stuff. 
but you know it was this interest that performance um, wasn't just like something you do in theater but something we do in ev- everyday lives like right now you and I are performing um, when, when two people out on a date uh, at a dinner table they're performing and you would what we did is we kind of would look at it almost like with the foundation of anthropology but looking at human activity and what we did is kind of bring in psychology psychotherapy uh, theater music um, and experimental forms of theater in order to try to understand the human experience on a whole deeper level Mm. and it was fascinating it was really great the only problem with it is that you can't get work after you get a degree like this, you know, it's like, what are you going to do with this? You know? Yeah. No, so, but we did music, we did theater, um, and we did a lot of um, film stuff. I did like in that in in that department, um, I actually did a piece where I, I composed music and did a, a series of interviews with the homeless and asked them, went around to New York City and asked homeless people in the middle of winter when it was like 30 below zero what they were dreaming. Huh. And it was really fascinating because you kind of get an idea of how dreams impact the human experience and uh, the concept of homelessness turns into an archetypal experience. Um, everyone's got a sense of being homeless on a certain level or the fear of homelessness. And um, that's the kind of work that kind of was keeping me connected to doing art, theater, film, and music. But there was this backdrop of foundation of anthropology and psychology. Um, And that was really cool. You know, that kind of really got stuff going. But it was really hard to make a living. I was kind of like your classic back in those days. You'd like live in a small railroad apartment on First and A and really kind of like you know those were the days of new york though my god absolutely you just move those rats aside and go can i get the bed you just train them to lay still so that you have a pillow made out of rats stop making so much noise you just it's okay it's like you know (laughs) they weren't it's like you'd call the landlord in those days and go hey man there's a rat on my dinner table and he'd go what do you want me to do about it you know it's like that's feed him (laughs) yeah feed him yeah tell him i say hi anyway but um yeah, so I did that, and then I got a, another degree in writing mm-hmm. and, um, and and studying music and cinema um, at the University of Miami. Mm-hmm. Um, I was moving more in the direction of becoming maybe a composer and a writer for film because I really loved film and the way that worked. Um, but in the back of my mind was always psychology, and I kept doing this work. I started to compose music for films, uh, I came out to LA to do uh, to score some films mm-hmm. and you know kind of experimental stuff and documentaries that I thought were interesting, um, but I always felt that again there was this calling mm-hmm. in my from my dream experiences to go a little further and to bring whatever these interests were into something that would be healing and connective to other people. So I decided to go for a PhD in clinical psychology at Pacifica Graduate Institute, which is in Santa Barbara. I think it's so interesting that you were doing the uh, scoring because a film or even a television program, uh, but especially a film, the score is really leading your 
your brain around by the nose, Absolutely. so to speak. I mean, it's yeah, telling it you, this is where you're going to get scared. This is where you're going to be happy. This is sad. Exactly. And it's completely mm-hmm. leading you by that score emotionally, directing you yeah. completely. And then people go, it's so subconscious. People aren't, yeah. people are not conscious of the score, generally. I mean, there are going to be some who are, but on mm-hmm. the grand scale, generally, I think, no clue. They're just watching a movie, watching the dialogue, watching the characters, and don't even realize how their their minds are being manipulated by the, the music. So that's very interesting Yeah, it's actually really cool. I, and that was what fascinated me about it. Because if you listen to even what you're saying, you're... You're saying, you know, you're, you're talking about emotions and affect, uh, sadness, anger, fear, all these kind of things that are going on in a movie. And the same things are going on in the real world that we're living yeah. um, or what we're feeling. Yeah. And musically, my God, that's where it really comes out so strong. And it's also fascinating what you're saying because there's been like psychological studies done where they've shown a film to people without the music and then with the music and see how different the interpretation of the film is. Well, didn't that movie with Tom Hanks, Castaway, once he's on the island, there's no musical score. That he, that was what was so phenomenal about his acting is that he was able to manipulate the mood of the movie without any influence of a musical score, which was, had never been done from, from my knowledge. It may have been done, but I, not that I had heard of. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's all kinds of accounts of you know making films that don't have music for specific reasons and things mm-hmm. like that. Um, but it is fascinating how what it does is it sort of supports. It's I mean, when you when you learn how to compose music to a film, you're being taught or trained how to support the images, not interfere with them so much. Um, and that's really hard to do, actually. Yeah, and, and I imagine it's it's that it's those composers actually that are doing something where you're kind of like just you, you just feel like the the music is such a part of the film you're not even thinking about it so much but of course it all depends on the type of film it is sure. um, you know can imagine the godfather without you know the right. score forget about it well right? there are some independent films where um I, I saw this movie i think it was called i'm probably gonna mess this i think it's called going home and it's very character driven by these just a, a woman and a man um the man is a cab driver. The woman's trying to get home to her family, and he's driving her across the U.S. And the soundtrack was written by a band named Bootstraps. And oh. I immediately after watching that film bought the album, and I listened mm-hmm. to it. And it just—it's such a beautiful, and it's a very subtle soundtrack. It's just like you're talking about it. It. Yeah. Which is interesting I mean, because now you know when you're when you're watching the movie, you're especially a dialogue-driven movie where there's just a couple characters and they're holding everything, you know that yeah. you don't really notice, other than that's the emotional swelling here and there, the music, and then to then go back and listen to the lyric. This is an extraordinary album that they did, and uh, so anyway, yeah, it's pretty cool. It's really it's really beautiful how you know the the. The dance between sound or music and dialogue and images and montage. It's so mm-hmm. beautiful to me. Um, it's like poetry in a sense. Yeah. You know? Music has been um, helping us feel and say things since it has existed. I mean, which, you know, what yeah. kid got through their childhood without making a mixtape for their beloved? 
I don't know. I guess. Uh, 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 there might be a couple out there, but uh, nowadays I, I don't know what they do. The, the other category. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, it was always fascinating to me, you know, how how that worked, and I would always be listening to music when I watched films, and then when I was when the concept of dreaming. And putting music to dreams, which is kind of like uh, a direction my work took later on, um, it was the same thing as scoring a film. Um, and I, I don't know if you were aware of that method that I do, which is a little different. It's a different part of the work that I do. It's what, not just inter I interpret dreams with certain patients, but um, I interpret all the dreams of my patients, but. With certain patients, I actually do compose music to their dreams. That is so cool. Talk about that for a minute. What the how? Run us through. I know obviously you, you can't talk about a specific patient, but um, maybe explain as long as how. I keep it anonymous and yeah, I code how, it. Yeah, like explain how that I can talk affects about some stuff. how it affects their their treatment. Yeah, well, it's the concept of. Most people come in and they have a dream, just like anybody, right? And they and it's confusing. It's abstract. It, most of it doesn't make sense. Uh, you know, you might have the image of say a forest walking through a forest, and the trees are attacking you in the dream, or something like that. And, and um, you, you start with trying to understand a dream by asking someone, you know, how, what's the mood of the dream, or something. And they might say, well, it's kind of scary, right? And um, kind of scary is one starting place to try to understand what it, what's going on in a dream. But when you start putting music to it, right? Like, so it's like, if there's music, how would it sound? Would it sound like this? And you might take a cello and um, start messing around with different sounds and, you know, kind of create some eerie feeling of going through a forest mm -hmm. where trees are moving. And then you ask, does it sound like that? And then they say, yes, but it was scarier. It needs to be scarier. It was like, it's not that what you're, what you're playing isn't scary enough. And so now they're, they're talking to me. They're telling me something about their phenomenologically experienced part of the dream. You know, how they're really, you know, uh, experiencing the dream is so important to really get inside of. So in, in this sense, and when I start to compose music with them, it's a way of getting deeper into the actual subjective experience of a dream, so mm. to speak. Wow. And things come alive in different ways. Um, and then we really kind of lock it down. Like, you know, it's like I record their voice telling me a dream and then I put it into um, you know the sound recording systems I use logic and then I start to score it the same way I would score a scene in a movie and I bring it into them they give me feedback like they're the director and I'm the composer and the idea is to really recreate the aliveness and uh, of the dream and bring out more details so what ends up happening is that more details start to show up when they sit back and listen to the music and think about the dream. Mm. Um, and just like you know, you were saying, music can lead and support movies. It also can be a little manipulative, so I have to be very careful about that and make sure when I'm working on a film, it's always about the director. 
right? What is the director's vision? Um, if they think something's the, the character is supposed to be scared, but I don't think they're scared, um, you know, I have to listen to the director. If the director wants them to be scared, then okay, I'll create scary music. So if a patient is we're talking about a dream, it's the same thing, you know. Uh, I come up with something, and then you just start messing around with the music so it reflects their vision of what their experience was. Mm -hmm. And um, the idea is to get past the abstractions, you know, get to something deeper in the experience of a dream so we can get at... Because the concept is, in psychotherapy anyway, my work, is that dreams lead to healing. Dreams are giving us clues and ideas about where the person needs to go in order to kind of deal with whatever issues are mobilizing their symptoms. Mm -hmm. um, and so a patient may come in and say they don't have intimacy issues, that they're totally fine and they've resolved all their stuff with that. But then the deeper we go into a dream where, say, they're walking through a forest and the trees are attacking them, and we go more into the meaning of that dream, with the music we kind of re realize that this person is actually seeing other things like red shoes, that she's wearing red shoes or something, some other detail and you start to kind of connect the dots. When did you have red shoes? When I was four years old. What happened when you were four years old? Oh, my parents got divorced, and I was forced to live somewhere where I didn't want to live. You know, you hear it. It's like this story just starts getting bigger and bigger, and you start to realize the dream is more about a displacement, trauma that you might have experienced when she was younger. Wow, um, that's so fascinating. Dreams in general... I started reading dream interpretation books when I was a kid, and oh, and my friends would always, you know, come to me with their dreams and like, what do you think this means? And and it was just always so it's so it's neat to hear about, especially with the musical scoring, how it triggers more memory of the dream because you know most yeah. people they wake up they remember especially if it's the dream they had right before they wake up, you know, they remember very specific large moments of the dream not the minutia but i imagine the minutia is where the magic happens yeah where the exactly. real information is mm -hmm. yeah because i mean what's happening is the brain is censoring what it wants you to know um it's repressing a lot of the material it's um it's it, there's a defense mechanism at work with dreams um yeah, and explain that, that. I, see i think I think that's really interesting, too, because I always, you know, one thinks that when you're dreaming, your subconscious is just running amok through the, through exactly. the you know, and everything that's is, exactly you know, right. the tigers are talking and, you know, the streets are made of tater tots or whatever. And uh -huh. <laughs> in my dream world. Uh-huh. So that's pretty interesting. Tater tots. I love, I love tater tots. I'm going to hold so off on that, too. <laughs> tater tots are so good anyway yeah. <laughs> um, but you know so I find it so curious that the mind the subconscious mind wouldn't just let it be a free for all that still there's a part of the conscious mind that's like nope don't get to know that nope don't get to know that yeah. but it's still active because you think it just goes out with the bath water during the dream time right well because really the material that's um, coming up in these dreams is can be so overwhelming it, it if uncensored and uncensored or unsupported you know you you probably go crazy you know people have gone crazy 
um, you can have a psychotic break if if you think that while dreaming. Well, if if you didn't have those mechanisms in place, <sighs> you know, and it's kind of interesting to think about because. You know, some people look at like schizophrenics. I work with some schizophrenia, uh, with schizophrenics, right? And they come in with hallucinations and delusions, and they're seeing things and hearing things that doctors are telling them they're crazy. And I'm my my way of looking at it is that they're not crazy, so to speak. They're just their mechanisms are are displaced or or not configured correctly. They're not censoring the way. Uh, say the quote unquote whatever we want to say a normal brain is um, censoring so they're just spitting out a lot of those abstractions um, in a language that doesn't make sense to a conscious person and they're being labeled a certain thing but that there's these everything that goes on in the human experience is there for survival and for healing it, it, that's uh, that's my opinion. That's depth psychology. That's young, but you know, it's like the concept of these dreams is that there is information there that can lead to deeper healing, not only for the person but for actually even the world. And the thing is, is that un if it's if it if it's just coming out without any um, censorship or or without any kind of uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for filter. Filter, that's a good word. Without any filter, it could be really overwhelming. Because if you are, I mean, let's use Oedipal stuff, you know. If you are dreaming of having some odd sexual experiences with a, a sibling or a parent or something like that, mm -hmm. which is symbolic of so many other things. Mm -hmm. But if you're, if you're going to experience that straight on in a dream, you'd wake up going, what the hell? You know, that was real. Oh, no, that's not good. You know, um, <laughs> so it's good to get censored on some level. Um, but at the same time, in psychotherapy anyway, if you're suffering from something, whether it's schizophrenia or bipolar or, you know, uh, depression, severe depression or something like that, and you're not sure what the cause is, mm -hmm. and you're having some really intense dream work, you want to get to what's happening there because it's possible that your relationship, say, with a sibling or a parent, even though in the dream it's inappropriate, feels inappropriate, it's pointing the direction of something deeper sure. that can be explored. And the beauty of psychotherapy is that we're having an intimate relationship based on experience and words, and we can talk about things that are completely confidential in a space that really ends up being a sacred sort of environment for a person to talk about things they don't normally talk about and sure. would never talk about with a friend yeah or something you know and see, yeah, I, I think it's normal to have sex dreams about your relatives that your close relatives <laughs> I, i've had it i've yeah, had well, a sex dream about my brother and I, i'm almost positive i've had one about my dad and okay and but I, it didn't freak me out at all because to me, a sexual union is is more about intimacy and trust in a dream state and and a in, in communion than it is about the act of sex. Which right. it's funny because in waking life, just normal people, I think normal people confuse the act of sex with it being intimate or that you know it's when there's so many layers and strata, so much... Completely. Yeah. And you know what that says to me about you? Hmm. 
<laughs> no, is that you weren't traumatized, uh, most likely, right. in those areas. Because you it, have a healthy, yes. yeah, yeah, you have a healthy way of integrating or constellating and understanding your experiences in a way where it doesn't freak you out. Mm-hmm. Now, guaranteed, if you were the victim of some kind of, God forbid, um, trauma or uh, you know abuse as a child that you repressed and you're having these dreams, they'd be night terrors, they'd be screaming, there'd be a deeper experience mm-hmm. that's saying, ah, no, I'm not okay with this, you know? Mm-hmm. But you have a high level of integration going on, and that's very impressive. <laughs> 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 you know, but, you know, it all, it, that, everything is saying something. Yeah, here's a question. About the unconscious. So I have, I've had a few dreams where, in the dream, <clears throat> I've said to myself, self, this is a cool dream. I don't want to forget this. This is some information I need. And so I'll step into another dream where there'll be like a typewriter or a pen and a piece of paper and I'll write it down and then I'll step back and experience a dream and then step into the other dream and write it down and then step oh. back until I have it. And then, I, you know, when I wake up, I remember it because I've written it all down. And the other day I had a really crazy one where I was in the dream and I was seeing all this stuff around me and it was so cool I didn't want to forget it and when that dream ended and a new dream began I told somebody in that dream about this dream I had had earlier but in the second dream it felt like I was talking about oh last night when I was asleep I had this cool dream but I was in another dream telling this new character about it and then it happened a third time that dream ended and then I was and that was a stranger and then in the third dream I was with my friend Dawn, and I, we were like painting a painting a wall and having a conversation. I said, "Hey, I had the coolest dream," and I repeated everything all over again. And then when I woke up, I wrote it all out because I remembered it because I had repeated it three times. Nice. Isn't that wacky though? I don't think that that's is, normal. That that is really fascinating. I don't know what that um, means. That's really cool stuff. I mean, you know, it's like multi-layered uh, narratives like that that intertwine, often kind of, kind of start. They start the conversation of maybe you know boundaries and moving through boundaries with other people and how they're connected and or how you feel comfortable with it or uncomfortable with it. Um, but those multi-layered narratives are really cool. And lucid dreaming is also another concept that's really kind of cool. It mm-hmm. kind of leads into that conversation. Do you do that? But I, I don't do that straight on, but it's like I, I've studied it, you know, I've looked at it. I have had patients where we've kind of looked at the lucid dreaming experience. And then it's kind of cool when you start to manipulate and see what's going on in dreaming, try to control it. But it, everything to me is a, is a way of, uh, I guess it's sort of trying to bypass the circuitry of the brain a little bit. Just allowing the brain to be what it needs to be um, is the way I like to work and think. And so, like, your dream just sounds so wonderfully impulsive and different and moving through different spaces. And the concept of the multi-layered dream experience also kind of correlates with our experience of multitasking (laughs) um, a little bit which is very big part of like what it means to be a human being these days a lot of things happening at once and connecting yeah my life especially we're doing 
<laughs> yeah, man, we're doing it right now, you know. Here we are. I don't even know. We're on an iPhone, but it's connected to a computer, and we're talking, and we're two people in two different places at the same time. Yeah. And yet your time is different from my time, but it's all happening. <laughs> <and so there's, laughs> you know, just like a dream. Yeah. yeah, I said to my friend Kathy the other day, I said, wouldn't it be interesting if, if uh, we right now talking are actually a dream of other people elsewhere dreaming and then when we go to sleep tonight, you and I go to sleep tonight and we start to dream, they wake up and they act out their thing and that's our dream. Wouldn't that be so trippy? <laughs> that is, that is a that's a great idea and it's possible hey a lot of shamans and you know when you go into some pretty cool little uh spaces of mysticism and time and and like sufi mysticism mm. they have the concept that we're all dreaming this um and i i think there's possible truth to all that stuff um that kind of leads back to the concept that jung was getting at with the collective unconscious mm. that we are all dreaming each other in a certain way and on some level there's some all of these dreams are pushing us towards something i mean you know just the way we're communicating on this apparatus i most likely somebody dreamt this at some time mm -hmm. and said i i see myself communicating on a computer <laughs> talking to people yeah uh, Kubrick's movies were often inspired by his dreams. And well, and Isaac Asimov, like I mean, he's the godfather yeah. of all of it, really. The stuff that he, and, and uh, Ray Bradbury, I mean, these guys way ahead of their exactly. time. You create, I mean, I, I, I am one of those people who dreams up, like, stories. Mm -hmm. And I get into a story, and I'm in it, and I'm going, and I'm, and it's almost like I just experienced an entire movie. Mm -hmm. Um and I love that. And then sometimes, I i mean, I also dream of stuff. I, I have no idea what the hell is going on there. Last night, I dreamt, I think you'd find this pretty kind of interesting. I have no idea what the connection is. I, I dreamt that someone handed me a book of Bob Dylan's autobiography. I don't even know if Bob Dylan has an autobiography. Um, I could see the book as if it's like I'm, I'm holding it right now with his face on the cover and everything. And I was so excited that this person gave me this this book, you know. I'm holding Bob Dylan's autobiography. And I'm a big Bob Dylan fan, as you can imagine. And, and, and I'm just like, wow, I can't wait to read this. And that was pretty much like the whole dream where I, then I just woke up and I didn't have the book. And I don't even know if it exists. I, today at some point I, yeah. I was going to look and see is there such a thing. I don't even know. Um, but I don't, you know, there's there's something there. I don't know why I just went there. But I just that's thought it That's interesting. Up. I wonder, well, I mean, that's it made you feel full of joy. So that's good. <laughs> I have the craziest, I mean, my dreams are so vivid and so intricate and fascinating and mm -hmm. um, they really are and, and sometimes I, and because I've been reading dream interpretation for so long I you know I wake up and I think oh I've got to look up what that animal means or what that thing but that's one of the questions I have for you those books were on, on the Google if you Google uh -huh. moth or whatever you know and like I, I had a dream one night that a, a moth landed right here in the middle of my forehead 
And when I woke up, I was like, okay, that's got to mean something. So I looked up moth, and I can't remember now what it meant, but it was very poignant when I looked it up. I remember that. Um, and I, I'm curious about that. Are these unilateral descriptors pretty spot on, or is it just too random for people? It's a great question. Um, I'm not a big fan of those books, to tell you the truth, because I think they're limited. Mm. And um, they limit what potentially the dream really means. And this is this is kind of leads back to that discussion about like Freud and Jung, um, the personal and the collective unconscious. Um, you got to be able to know what the personal experience of something is. If... I went on a trip on a plane uh, with my parents when I was seven years old, and I had this really exciting experience with them uh, on the plane and being on the plane. And then now, you know, somewhat years later, I dream of being in a plane. I might be thinking about that trip mm. and something that went on in that trip. And it, it, could symbolize the association I'm making to being a son in my family or being a, 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 a person in my family or something. Mm -hmm. And that's where the dream's kind of going. Now, if you look up plane in one of those books, you know, it's like, you know, you get phallic symbols, you get uh, sexual imagery as possible and all that kind of stuff and it's gonna it's kind of gonna say oh I'm having a sexual dream or something not that that's wrong um, I quite but, enjoy them <laughs> no 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 not wrong to have them I enjoy them too but those are the best dreams sometimes it's probably the better than real life it's it's it's, <laughs> it's um, but but what I'm saying is that the interpretation of the dream is different and it could be is is what potentially is off there mm -hmm. you know those books bring up what is kind of like a collective interpretation of some of these images mm -hmm. which is good you want to use those um, in order to possibly understand what a dream might mean mm -hmm. um, certainly with certain images like unicorns or something like that which usually points us in the terms of fantasy and and that stuff uh, a moth I mean, again, you, you know, it's like what a moth might mean to you is different from what a moth might mean to me. Um, and in therapy, we, we kind of bounce ideas off of each other. Like what comes up for me when I hear moth is metamorphosis and change, mm -hmm. for example. Um, landing in the forehead. Now, if you have a background with meditation mm -hmm. or Hindu mysticism, you might be looking at the third eye as mm -hmm. a possible... Um, image that's colliding with another image. Mm -hmm. um, now I could be going completely off right mm -hmm. here because I'm bringing my own personal experience. But you know, would you try things out and you never know what the dream actually might mean? You know, I may ask you, you know, what do you think of when you think of a moth? And you might say they scare me for some reason. You know, or I don't like them because they fly into my clothes. And <laughs> I don't know. Now we're talking about something else, you yeah. know, uh, clothing and external uh, ways of manifesting the self. It, it really depends on what the person's experience is. Sure, and what might have triggered, too. I think about that. Your, our brains, these supercomputers, are exactly. directing us around. 
remember mm-hmm. everything, cataloged everything. It's everything. All, everything. Everything is in there. And we, we don't realize that even all the way back to our very beginnings is in there somewhere. And then let's say, let's say I go to the grocery store and I see a woman that triggers, trigger being the operative word, triggers a memory from when I was four. But I don't register it consciously because why That's would I that. even notice that? And then that night I have a dream that mirrors that experience or symbols of that experience. I mean, it makes perfect sense that it would be like that. Exactly. And, and that's why, you know, a real, one interesting aspect about dream at work uh, kind of came up with the Bob Dylan thing, which is you can't interpret your own dreams too well. I have to go to a colleague where I see my own therapist in order to work my own dreams out. You know, it's because of the connections that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. You're absolutely correct. Obviously, you are well-read and you understand that. The, the mind does absorb everything, every scent, every, uh, everything you've heard from the beginning. And, and when you do go to sleep and it starts to tell its own story, it's borrowing from anything. That's why free association is a big part of the work because you just want to go, go blank and then say, moth, what comes up immediately without thinking, without trying to answer a question intellectually or right. uh, provocatively. Um, that's what's going to lead you deeper into the experience of whatever that moth might really mean. Is it um, hard as a therapist um, when you're when you're with your patients? To, can you tell when they're trying to say what they think you want them to say? Does that happen? Is it? Yeah, yeah. I mean that that's that's called something in transference and countertransference uh, issues that come up in therapy. Of mm-hmm. you know, is how much of it is. Uh, people pleasing on a certain expect you know they're, they're, you do have this relationship it's the same thing that humans do when they're interacting you know it's like they, they want to be liked they want to be welcomed they want to be understood and listened mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. so um, in those in these in that relationship yeah sometimes you want to kind of say if I if like that's an example of like maybe in a moment you might go gee I'm wondering if what you just said, you're saying because you think that's what I want to hear, mm-hmm. and they might go, you know what, you're right, you know, and then that that's another part of the conversation, mm-hmm. you know. I actually, you know, you, it's fun to do that even <laughs> in real life with people. Oh, absolutely, you know, yeah, you know, absolutely. And when you do that, though, you're being really authentic. You're being really straight up, you mm-hmm. know, which people aren't used to mm-hmm. being in the world you know they're always kind of performing and stuff and you want to get to something beneath that or beyond that and that's what's fun i think see that's why i see that's why i gravitated towards dream work and music work because i feel like those two worlds really really work to, together really wonderfully because they rely on those impulsive experiences you know you're a musician so it's like you know what makes you put two chords together right you don't know uh, you know it just happens and then your mind goes yeah that feels really good um and 
that's going to work or that's expressing something I need to express. And, and there's such a wonderful um, tie-in to dream images that sort of don't work together but sort of do in their own way mm -hmm. and somehow they do kind of tell some deeper story just like music does mm -hmm. but they do rely on this impulsive kind of wonderful kind of reflex that's uh, spitting stuff out from you know I mean in the Jungian frame it's not even that the brain registers not only what we've experienced in our lifetime with every scent and every sound and every sight but even beyond that imagine this concept that from a certain concept we're dreaming the dreams of our ancestors mm, I very much believe that absolutely yeah totally yeah. You're, you're acting, your, your life is in accordance with stuff that, you know, some of your ancestors' DNA stuff is inside you and it's, it's needing to get out and be expressed. Mm -hmm. I've had situations where I really realized I wasn't working with someone who was maybe sexually abused when they were a child, but their grandparents were. Wow, that's really fascinating. <laughs> you know? and, and they've come to this point in time to have this conversation with me, not just to heal themselves, but to heal their family. Yeah. And to come clean on something that is maybe bothering, you know, uh, ancestors. And, and you can go crazy with this stuff, too. When you really start talking about mysticism and um, the idea of, the poets are connecting to energies that go back thousands of years. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I think it's all connected, and, and it's the idea that the brain is really registering all this stuff. Because, you know, even dinosaurs, their atoms and molecules are floating around in space. We're breathing the same air they breathe. Breathing yeah. the same air, absolutely. Yeah. And stars that have blown up. You yeah. know, a galaxies away is floating all the way through everything. Now, there is one thing I want to address, though, before we uh, finish this thing. Now. I do. I want to. And also, before we finish, too, I want to read you a couple of the, uh, my listeners had thrown some dreams at you to, to see what okay. you think. Just but a couple. One thing I do want to say, yes. because I know we're, we're walking um, into different territories here, is that a lot of, at least from the clinical psychology perspective, from a Jungian perspective, this is not for through work this is not like new age type of stuff this isn't like Do people say that the... some people i think have a misinterpretation because a lot of new age psycho uh what do you want to call them spiritualists um use a lot of the terminology that jung developed like synchronicity for example mm -hmm. and they then you know, presented in a way that could sound kind of out there and frou-frou. Uh, but the work that we're doing psychother in psychotherapy anyway, psychodynamic therapy, is very clinical. It is about that we all dream and we want to understand how this is going to lead to some healing for things like schizophrenia, bipolar, depression, suicidal instincts, and things like that. And there, there, there's a foundation here that though it sounds okay, we're connecting to the ancestors and everything else, it doesn't matter. It, it is about one's personal experience of life is feeling overwhelming mm -hmm. and crazy and scary, and you're kind of just trying to break it down and let it make sense, but with the guidance 
of understanding it not just intellectually and but spiritually and even creatively yeah absolutely. Okay, so i just want to make that point because yeah oh well, i i understand why you're making it for sure and i again something that i say a lot as uh, as my friend kathy when she and i were talking on our other podcast that um it's people when they don't understand something or if it's untouchable t- untangible they they immediately throw it into this realm of impossibility or woo-woo or whatnot just because Uh something isn't easily explained or something isn't necessarily tangible that that doesn't make it crazy it doesn't make it right right so but people people don't understand something they like to to put a label on it that's just human nature exactly that's why with those books that people are buying yeah. Uh, dream interpretation books are selling like hotcakes because yeah. they do offer something, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, and they are interesting, and that it is, it's all about, I think, um, making sense of the chaos. Yeah, I you know, those this books are, the, I find interesting because I feel like they are a a stone on a pathway. So you look mm-hmm. at the stone and you say, okay, well that's interesting. This this one, but the path is actually quite long yeah <laughs> that's wide. awesome yeah i actually i yeah that's the way i think of them too in a certain way i was always thinking i think of dreams as pixelated diamonds leading on a path towards some deeper experience mm-hmm. of the self you know and and those those kind of concepts they're beautiful they, they, they are they're, they're all stepping steps and they've been too. moving human beings since the dawn of time yeah i, exactly. I would, it would be great to go back in time and meet a cave dweller who is pre-verbal even and and watch them experience a dream when they wake up i mean i imagine that they thought they were being bewitched or that some greater you know because they didn't Mm -hmm. have a they i assume you know proto-humans dreamt of course they did Uh, every every absolutely i know my dog but when he was still alive yeah absolutely absolutely i mean uh those studies are pretty uh concrete you know i mean do birds dream yeah, is there a level fundamentally of int- if you have a brain it's capable of dreaming it depends on the size of the the cortex oh. on how far you can go with those understanding of the dreams or what what's going on sure. but yes there we're all dreaming yeah. i mean there you there there are like i said there are people who believe that trees are dreaming you know yeah. um and it's possible anything living Mm-hmm. Is dreaming in, in its own way. In yeah. its own way. Hey, it's the, just got it's a, a little language. bird in its psychiatrist's office, and the bird's like, "I dreamt this worm was huge and had fangs." <laughs> 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 All right, I'm going to read you. This is a, a woman uh-huh. named Natalie. She says, "Last so, and her father passed away a, a couple years ago, which I, I believe would be relevant." Uh, she uh-huh. says, "My dream last night. I'm at the movie theater with my mom, brother, and deceased father." My dad and I go to see one movie, and my mom and brother go to see another. Afterward, all four of us decide to see the film my mom and brother has just seen. They want to see it again. I sit with them, but can't see anything because of too many tall people, so I move to another section of the theater by myself. During the film, a group of people behind us are belligerent and disruptive, and an usher kicks them out. Halfway through the movie, I realize my purse has been stolen. 
and I spend the rest of my dream endlessly digging through a huge lost and found container of purses trying to find mine, but I know it's hopeless. Wow. It's pretty, nice that's a big, deep dream. Now, I read that, yeah. and I was like, okay, well, I see a lot of things in there. Mm -hmm. the, the wanting to see the same film again is wanting to mm -hmm. see your father again. Right. You know. There's some grieving going on mm -hmm. there. Um, yeah. Interpretation of the grieving Mm -hmm. is also um, happening in there and different experiencing different stories um, the loss of an identity due to the grieving perhaps mm -hmm. and stuff like that I yeah. mean again so much of this is about what Natalie's experience of these things are um, you want to know what kind of a movie yeah. <laughs> that would be kind of interesting yeah. uh, is it a scary movie that they're watching is it a fun movie um, um you know, what kind of movie theater is it? Is it an old movie theater? Is mm -hmm. it a modern movie theater? Um, are you comfortable? Are you not comfortable? What's the mood of it? Is it scary? Not scary? Mm -hmm. You know, those kind of things help create it. But, you know, as you and I just kind of threw out some ideas here about what a dream like this could possibly mean, you know, I mean, it just, you could feel the meaning is there. Mm -hmm. It's just so there, you know, it just all feels really pregnant. Yeah. with information i was thinking know. about the belligerent people that get thrown out to me the, the, now i'm of course can only interpret it based on my own experiences so when i hear that i think well here are these jerks that are in the movie disrupting the, the movie and they get thrown out and her dad who she loves and is a wonderful man why did he get thrown out of life when he right. didn't deserve it. Nice. So that's where that's I would nice, go with that. But Yeah, it's a nice association. It could possibly work. And you you know, when you're working with people with dreams, you kinda of throw stuff like that out. What do you think of this idea? Yeah. Um, but you know, it's also, you know, basically where you want to go is what is the feeling state here or what is what is actually happening? It sounds like the belligerent guys are a distraction. Um, you know, mm. the, the, the way the narrative is flowing when you just hear it, the belligerent guys are a distraction of some kind. And that's kind of like the feeling of maybe, you know, <laughs> know any belligerent guys in your life <laughs> who are perhaps distracting you from the truth or from deeper spaces of uh things that you should be thinking about or not thinking about see what i mean yeah it's like you want to you always try to follow the activities and the dreams just the way you do when you're reading a novel or yeah. a book or you know um you know or, or watching a movie or whatever it is it's like you kind of want to what is actually going beneath the action you know? yeah not just the belligerent guys but it's a feeling of they're taking me away from something. They're separating me from the experience of the movie. Right. Um, and then something. they stole her purse. Which is and then they steal a purse, which f feels like identity stuff. Yeah. Or, you know, there, there you go. Purse. What do you think of? Money? Or are you thinking, oh, my God, I don't, I, I, now I don't have my wallet. Or now I don't have my, um, you know, my. Uh, but your identity my, is in your wallet. My so driver's license. Sense. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, it all depends on what the person, you know, comes up with when yeah. you ask them. Well, what do you think of when you think of purse? Say, well, I'm afraid that they're now going to have all my money. Uh, you know, did I have money in the pocket? You know, and some people immediately think, oh, shit, now I don't have, you know, my driver's license. Yeah. You know, which is like I've just lost my identity. Yeah. It's all someone else. Yeah, it's cool. What a great it's job really you have. <laughs> yeah, it's nice. I, I 
it's, I, I love it because it combines everything that I love about life, you know, and uh, draws me into a deeper experience of, of it all in a certain way. And um, it's fun, and yet it's also helpful, you know. Oh, absolutely. Uh, working yeah. with people this way. And uh, that's why I went into it in that sense you know it is playful it brings a sense of playfulness into the experience because you know i mean people are coming to therapy you know either just to you know which is nice to make sense of things um because they feel confused with anxiousness or anxiety but you know some people are coming in because they're afraid they're gonna you know hurt themselves yeah uh, left alone and you know so it, it 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 can be pretty intense you know but at the same time, it's really exciting, fun, and I like to bring playfulness and back into the room. And, and I also, love the music know, thing; that's great. Creativity stuff. Yeah. yeah, you should check out some of that. Yeah. You know, we can communicate more, and you know, because the music is really interesting. It's not like stuff you're gonna sell um, or something. You know, it's kind of they could be like soundscapes and noises and. Um, you know, it becomes kind of like John Cage type compositions, which I really love. Or they could be really fun and beautiful and yeah. um, melodic. You know, they can really go in every direction. And that's another thing that I love about it is that I get to do like almost everything. It's like if I'm working with someone who's really into jazz, I could go into jazz music. And if I feel like jazz music, I just work with someone who's into bluegrass because they're. Um, uh, they were raised like in Louisiana type of thing and you know um, and you can recreate that sound as well to bring the person in deeper into the dream experience if it's there but you know it's really cool there's so all these cool. landscapes and you get to enjoy it all you know I get to do sacred music you know or, or even just straight up I did electronica piece with one dream you know just straight up trance type stuff um, and that was really fun uh, and I, I and, you know I, I just I love everything about music you know just i don't care what it is except for maybe some forms of death metal i, I have a little tough time with that but <laughs> <laughs> but generally speaking you know it's just that's what i it's, i always dreamt of creating a life where i could do all kinds of music without being kind of stuck in one thing and then also in a way of doing dream work where you can help people and that kind of stuff do you remember so your very oh. first do you remember your very first client and were you nervous? I mean, that to take someone's mind into your hands, it's got to be intimidating when you first start. That's how I knew I was on the right path because, you know, there was a big buildup. I didn't do psychotherapy until, like, you know, even just, what, eight, seven, eight years ago or something, you know? Um, and I just walked in there and just, I was happy. I just felt. I was in the right place. I ne I've never really been nervous, even with some pretty, you know, uh, scary characters who are, you know, coming in for different reasons. I've worked in mental institutions um, where they're throwing me in the room with people who are there because, you know, they did some pretty scary things. Um, and I, I just never have that fear. I don't have that fear with talking to people. Um, uh, for some reason mm -hmm. I just I'm excited I can't wait to get to know people um, and I, I and if I can find a way to help them that's even better yeah. um, and and so I don't I don't I don't I, I never really had that I've my colleagues have you know and they're like wow I did this for the first time that was so terrifying I didn't know what to talk about for 45 minutes <laughs> uh, 
I've never really had that problem. So um, I don't know how much longer do we go with no, this. No, we're good. I mean, I yeah. I could talk to you all day. This is fascinating. To I me. get the feeling we could probably yeah. talk a long time. It's so interesting. Yeah, it's it covers so many things that I'm I'm interested in. So mm-hmm. I mean, psychology interested. Uh, neuroscience interested, dreams Absolutely. interested. I mean, music interested. <laughs> yeah, we it, didn't even go into the whole quantum stuff. I, too. I know. Oh, well, please, may, may I have you on the show again, <laughs> and we can talk about other stuff. I mean, I would love to have sure. you return if you are if you are down with that. Yeah, it sounds good. Cool. Thank well, you so much. This, this was so fun. It's great. I hope everyone had a good time, and uh, you know. Oh, I, you know what? How would who someone, sees this? Nobody sees it. It's all listening. So you can subscribe. People subscribe on iTunes, and they get when the new podcasts get posted, then they get a little notification, or they can go to the website heyhumanpodcast.com. And uh, I see. yeah, and in fact, on the on the actual website, um, I put links and information. Uh, so any kind of links or anything that you'd like to to email me, do that, and I'll yeah, stick it on the I website. Yeah, I was just. Yeah, I would like that, you know, yeah. I mean, because people hear this or whatever. They're they can getting, find you. Um, they can find me. Yeah. yeah. And, and you, yeah. are you taking clients now? I mean, do yes. You, yeah. Okay, great. I mean, I, I don't I don't know if most of you people who are going to hear this are, are in Nashville or in Beverly or I Los have no Angeles. Idea. But I think they're everywhere. They're in Los Angeles. Yeah, I'm in Beverly Hills. I have an office and I'm seeing patients right now. and It's nice. Yeah. yeah. It's wonderful. Thank you so much for your time. It's really been delightful. Thank you for having me. Thank yeah. you for asking. It was exciting to finally talk to you. Yeah. Have a wonderful yeah. night. Yeah, you too. Okay. Take it easy. Bye.